Tennessee Titans talk, fellas. Monday night game. It's always weird, isn't it, big fella, when we're not playing on Sunday. I mean, I love watching Red Zone, love the whole thing, but it's just just makes for a weird weekend, although I'm really pumped to see the Titans in primetime. It is really weird. I mean, you know, my kids love it because usually that means they get, you know, pancakes or something cool on Sunday morning for a change, but uh tends to make my Sundays feel like they're, you know, the longest days ever. Regardless, we're in the spotlight, primetime, against a pretty hot opponent, so... On Monday, I don't think there's anywhere else I'd rather be. And we've been good under Vrabel in the Monday and that one Sunday night game. I think we're 4-0, 5-0 in games that are on Monday or Tuesday. And we do show up like we did last year, so it's not going to be... I don't think it'll be as bad as some people might expect, but... And just always, it's on primetime. The ESPN commentators are whatever, but it's primetime. It's the Titans. We're wearing the all-navy. We show up in that. Derrick Henry, in particular shows up in that, so I'm feeling good. So, Landon, let's talk about this game. Uh, you're obviously, like all of us, a huge football fan, but you probably like to see us in primetime because you get to watch every other game closely, right? Yeah, I do. And now on Sunday, I was looking at the map. For some reason, I'm getting the Chiefs-Washington football game instead of Chargers-Ravens. I don't know why Chargers-Ravens isn't the widespread noon primetime game. But just watching Red Zone where I can just – Watch Red Zone all day. Don't have to worry about it. It's a good feeling. Although with my class schedule, Tuesdays are my early days, and I'm in Eastern time right now. So getting sleep on mo- Monday night after the Titans game is going to be a little bit rough because I have to get up at 7. Yeah, not great timing there. Uh, East, living on Eastern time is is for the birds, but um, I'm glad that we don't. But, yeah, it makes for a late night. Big fella, of course, we'll be out there. We'll be tailgating as early as we can. But it is still just really fun to know that the entire country's uh, watching Nashville, and it's just it's just going to be a lot of fun. The only iffy part is um, a really good team comes to town. We've had some recent success against the Bills, even since they've uh, become a lot better. Us having played so inconsistently and really we've been a mediocre team thus thus far, um, except for Henry and, and, and Tannehill and some bright spots here and there, boy, I know – you called me yesterday, big fella. It's like, man, do we do we have a chance to get this team? How how are you feeling two days before, big fella? What what are our chances to to win on Monday night? This is the part that's going to hurt me the most because, of course, I think as long as we are relatively healthy, I think we always stand a chance. However, I literally have nightmares thinking about that Buffalo defensive line against our piecemeal offensive line or or below average offensive line, I think that can make for a very long day. It can force a lot of bad throws by Tannehill, and I think it's a place we don't want to be. Not counting us out, but it's a long shot for us to win this game. Landon, what's the scariest part about this game Monday night? That Christian Fulham is out, really the one good cornerback we've had, and they have two really good explosive receivers, and now it's maybe Caleb Farley finally gets some burn because we have no one else, but our secondary has not been good for lack of coaching and or talent. And now the one guy, along with Bayard, who's been good all year, is not there. Well, I think we have to get a little bit more of uh, the future Hall of Famer, Elijah Molden. I think he graded out really well last week against the Jags. I mean, again, it's against the Jags, but... um, He probably sees a good bit of snaps against Cole Beasley. That's more like the archetype receiver that he can match up with. Not like the Tyler Lockett's the guys who run like sub 4-4, but like the quick twitchy guys that won't burn them. Yeah, and the, the Bills have just an outstanding uh, receiving course, so that is a worrisome that uh, kind of a 
a questionable position for us is already arguably our best uh, player at that position. Fulton will will not play. That's that's scary. Uh, big fellow, they're five and a half point favorites. The Bills are. Am I crazy that 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 doesn't seem so bad? No, it's not that bad. I think um, I was reading an article last night that was talking about the spread and how if it were a neutral field, they'd be ten point favorites. So the fact that we are the home team in five and a half is actually pretty decent. But I mean, like we've talked about before, it's really rare when you see two above average NFL teams and the spread is more than six. So I feel like it's about as generous as a, a spread as there could be. You know, I've always thought this Bills team is, is overrated. I think they're well coached. I think that their quarterback is good until he gets a lot of pressure. Um, we've seen him in big games like playoff games or under a lot of pressure just do a lot of boneheaded things. But he is one of the great athletes playing the quarterback position. And that's saying something because we have some amazing athletes playing the quarterback position right now. And it's it's one of the, I think, more exciting times to be an NFL fan. Uh, that being said, are we going to be able to generate enough pressure to make it difficult for this guy? Well, the good news is that Bud Dupree is in. It's not official but all signs point to him playing like he's been rested the past three games. He he was a DMP on Friday, but I think that was just cautionary. Otherwise, he had two full participants. And just getting him back so we're not having to run Ola Adini a lot at edge or Autry at edge and just shaking up the defensive line depth, that's going to be big. And the right side of their offensive line has been a little bit suspect. They, they're starting the rookie Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa. And Harold Landry has been awesome this year. He's the only NFL player with five pressures in every single game. So I do think this is our best chance if we're going to get pressure and the Bills offensive line doesn't amaze me. But it's just the question of even early in the season when our defensive front was at relatively full strength, they didn't really put it all together. Can they put it all together? Because Josh Allen is not a hobbled car, not a hobbled Carson wins. If you flush him out, he's going to run and he's probably going to hurdle a couple DBs in the process. What Buffalo Bill, maybe it's Josh Allen, what Buffalo Bill scares you the most? I think it really is Josh Allen. I think he's the obvious choice. You know, you mentioned really quickly Stephon Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, their receivers are really deep. Another guy that really kind of, I think, is in a good place, I guess, against our a weakness of ours, it's been our weakness forever, is Dawson Knox. I mean, he's been on a... He has been having an incredible season so far, and he's a tight end who can kind of do a lot of different things for them. I think our linebacking core is one of our weaknesses. And Jayon is out right now. Yeah, Jayon's out. We brought in Avery Williamson. Rashawn Evans has not been playing really well, let alone in coverage. Um, So I think that's a spot that Josh Allen and Dawson Knox are going to look to exploit. Dawson Knox, of course, is a, a Middle Tennessee native. A lot of people don't know that because he played his college football at University of Mississippi. Uh, that will be an interesting matchup. We've not looked good there. Landon, are we at the point, I know he's had his moments, are we at the point where we consider Rashawn Evans just kind of completely a like a disappointment for a first-round pick? Oh, absolutely. And Because up until this year, the one thing he had going for him was that he was a great tackler when he was slicing through guys in the red zone. And this year, that's disappeared. He's still as bad. He's still as bad in coverage as he's always been, even though we aren't really playing him there. And it's just linebackers. You don't really care if they're great tacklers or not. If they're a bad coverage guy, it doesn't matter. And obviously, you don't want a guy who's a terrible tackler. But if he were a great coverage linebacker and a poor tackler, we'd probably extend him and he'd still be around because coverage is king. You can hide those guys. 
And this year, just, I don't know what happened because I thought this year with his fifth-year option being declined, it'd be a contract year. He'd be extra motivated to give it all. He's regressed in every single way. Like, his pass coverage is probably worse than it has been somehow. On that note, let me. I'm looking at the 2018 NFL Draft, and we took Rashawn Evans at 22. 22. I want to read you guys just a couple of the names that went after him in the first round. Keep in mind that we traded up for him. Yes, right. And I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read you some of the names of players that went in the first round after him that we could have had, or the second round. And let me know how you guys feel. So obviously, Rashawn Evans at 22. We could have had Isaiah Wynn. We could have had DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, Terrell Edmonds, Lamar Jackson, Nick Chubb, Darius Leonard, Cortland Okay, Sutton. stop reading. <laughs> You're going to depress me and land it. <laughs> Woof. The yeah. obvious names are Ridley and Moore because we only had we only had Corey Davis the year. I think that was the year that Richard Matthews just went AWOL after two weeks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Moore and right. Ridley are the two big names. Moore probably fits the offense a bit better. I think he's probably a bit better player. And I know, like, obviously Darius Leonard has been great so far, and he played the same position. He would have been such a better upgrade. But at the time, no one thought Darius Leonard would have been that good. Like, there's the clear big four linebackers at the top, with Rashawn Evans probably that fourth guy. Then there's a drop to Leonard. So we really missed on Moore and Ridley because that year, Corey Davis didn't really have a great rookie year. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. like we had Corey Davis, A.J. Brown of last year. Right. And we passed on receivers. We had Corey Davis, Rashard Matthews was like an okay wide receiver too. And we just passed on two, on two of the two top receivers in the draft because when we trade up to 22, not a single receiver had been taken. Yeah. Well, to trade up to pick up off-ball linebacker, nuts. And, we, and one that isn't a great it. coverage guy either. Oh, absolutely. I remember that draft. I remember really being high on Cortland Sutton. And I think he could have merited a first-round pick. I mean, well, like he's said, played more or less like one. He has, um, and he went number forty right before we took Harold Landry. I just, you know, I think it's just so fun, and I, I know we'll get to that after the season's over. Going back and looking at at, at previous drafts, and I always like when we analyze that kind of stuff and look at the gems that were hidden in the draft. But I just, you know, I was all in on Rashawn Evans. Many and all Titans fans will remember his play in the New England the New England playoff game, but he, Where he is saved just, a touchdown. Yeah, yeah, he has just stunk it up recently. I hope he turns it around, but I'm fairly confident he will not be a Titan next year. And he's going to see the field a ton this week because Monty Rice is out and Jayon Brown is on IR. Yeah, so it's going to be David Long, who has looked really good despite his limitation, and Rashawn Evans, and then. Oh, yeah, and Avery Williamson is probably going to play this week, which is cool. Oh, I'm sure. We signed him to the active roster, and I thought that was kind of strange. Uh, I mean, typically a guy like that, you bring him in on the practice squad, but I guess, you know, we don't have time to, to do yeah. to do that. With Rice out, it, it'd either be playing Zubar, who's a special teamer, or like converting some edge guys or bringing up a safety. Tight end coverage is going to be a problem. We want Bayard, who – and Bayard has looked really good this year. He's bounced back. PFF has him as the number one safety right now. It doesn't need to be in a position where we have to bring Byard onto Knox because Knox is just killing everyone else. Because then that just opens up their big play offense because now who else on our roster can play center field like Byard? Amani Hooker still hasn't been called up to the active roster yet. He and could even, be though, right? Before yeah. Monday? Yeah, I think Hooker would probably be like a 50-50 to play. And if he's back, I think you'd see him on Knox. But it's like in the Kansas City game 
the the first year with, with Mario where we won, where Kelsey was killing us, Byard had to be on knocks, and we couldn't do anything on defense. Then Kelsey got knocked out of the game. Those Byard could play more Cyprian? center. Yeah, Byard could play more center fielder, and then we just completely flipped the script because now our best defensive back was playing his best role. Mm-hmm. If Dane Crookshake wants to knock out Dawson Knox, I mean, I'll never root for a player, but that would probably be good for us. John, you're talking about the draft and all. I I cannot help but think of this hypothetical. Uh, pretend this could happen. We could have any NFL player for the rest of this season and postseason, and we could pick any player in the NFL to try to win a championship. What one player? I'll go first. We'll go oldest to youngest, and you can't pick who I pick, and Landon can't pick who either one of us pick. What player would you pick with the mind of winning a championship? Like, for instance, it's just between now and the end of the postseason. So, like, for instance, if we picked Aaron Rodgers or Pat Mahomes, yes, that would probably be an improvement over Tannehill, but that Mm. would be improving a strength. And I don't know if either one of those guys would still make us a Super Bowl favorite. So, in that mind, I I think if we could have any player in the NFL between now and the end of the postseason, the reason why I ask this is to see, like, what we're missing. Uh, It would be Aaron Donald, right, because you pair him uh, on on the interior with what we already have, a good young player, uh, some good role players, and he would be a huge, huge difference maker, mainly because he's, you know, pound for pound the best player in the NFL. But for me, I, I think of that question is it would have to be a pass rusher or a right tackle or a corner, right, just because that would be the biggest impact. Mine's Donald. Big fellow, what player, if you could have any player for this team, who would it be? You and I are thinking in the right mind. I would, actually would pick Miles Garrett. We need that physical presence off the edge, and I think – He's playing in a league of his own right now. He's just worlds better than anybody else on the field. I think a guy like that coming off the edge for us is something that we haven't had since the days of Javon Curse. Landon, analyze our picks and uh, and then let us know, like, what what player would would go the furthest in making uh, the Titans uh, a, a true contender? Well, Donald is obvious. Even if our defensive tackles were a strength, I still would pick Donald just because. He's the best player in the NFL. Like he's an edge, like as a pass rusher, he's an edge rusher playing on the inside. So I think that's really obvious. Even if he is an obvious upgrade, then obviously Miles Garrett, the best edge rusher this season. And we need more pass rush, both because of injury and just because of lack of production. And so it really, and it really comes down to for me is cornerback or right tackle. Question Barry has just been so bad. Just getting right tackle, even though Nate Davis hasn't been good. Just not having that one obvious weak point where the other team's best edge rusher can just go, hey, I'm going to beat this guy up for forty for 60 minutes and get 10 pressures a game. And then cornerback, I think I would end up taking a right tackle just because I think yeah. the cornerback has been a bit more because of coaching and the mm. system than it has been talent. Because Fulton has looked good. Everyone else hasn't, but they have some potential and Bayard is looking good. I think with Amani Hooker coming back, you can pull it together. So at right tackle... So what was tough for me, Landon, is I I couldn't name who I thought the best right tackles were in the league. I know historically who they are, but who are the best right tackles in the league right now? Conklin, I guess. Yeah, but Conklin's banged up. Ramchek for that's really hurtful if it is in fact Conklin because Mm -hmm. we had him. But yeah, right tackle is kind of in a down spot. I would say if I had to pick purely a right tackle, I'd probably take. I think I would take Ramchek from the Saints just because he's so solid. He has been a good player since day one. 
Yeah, but if I could cheat and just take a, take any tackle and just kick him out to right tackle, it would be Trent Williams. <laughs> That's just interesting because like, he is incredible and also like 35 years old, but yeah. you're, you're right. He, because like mentally, he like his style of play, just how brutal he is, he just fits our offensive philosophy more than Ramchek does. Ramchek is just like a technician, like everything is so easy and works so well. And Trent Williams is just a physical freak that will just put you in the dirt every single play. I love to ask those kind of questions to you guys because you guys will always give me an answer I wasn't thinking of, and it's always outstanding. Miles Garrett, <laughs> absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, how about a mauler who's ready and knows how to win? Trent Williams. But he's dead right, isn't he, big fellow? Yeah, oh, my God. I would kill for a right tackle who didn't who, who played at a Pro Bowl level right now. I would kill for one. Like, I'd I, kill I would, for Dennis Kelly. Yeah, I'd kill for Dennis Kelly. I would, I would kill for myself to put on some pads right now. Dennis Kelly would be huge. Conklin would be in, insane. I mean, you're looking at the list. Like, Landon, you mentioned Ramchek. I mean, you can do Werfs. You can do literally pretty much anybody. You'd pick probably 30 starting tackles. And, yeah. so, and it would be obviously, like, even if it were a bang average left tackle moving to right tackle, I think we still could probably massive pick, upgrade. I think we can pick probably about 60 right tackles over David Questenberry. Hey, yeah. Landon, I'm curious, though. If you were going to pick a corner, who would it be? Uh, Trayvon Diggs? For just now, in the end of the season, I think it's important to make that caveat because Diggs is a young player, but Diggs, maybe he has been, for the first quarter of the season, maybe he has been the best corner. Uh, who who would you pick, Land? I would play it safe and pick the obvious name, which is lame, because I do like these hypotheticals where you kind of go under the radar, but it'd be Ramsey. I know Diggs has been really good and mm. super productive, but Dan Quinn, just as a, as a defensive play caller, just it's impossible. I wouldn't feel comfortable translating Diggs' success with Dan Quinn to under Shane Bowen because with the Cowboys, Diggs is lurking a lot. He's kind of trailing. He's making it look like the receiver is open. Then he's closing the gap and making the play because the other the whole defense is playing sound football. We're not <laughs> playing sound football here. There's there's no no quarterback is going to throw at the guy Trevon Diggs is lurking off of. Because we're probably letting someone just walk into the end zone 50 yards down the field anyway. Let with me Ramsey, change my answer. With Ramsey, it's just you can say, hey, go lock down that guy. Just go yeah. play, man. Don't worry about anything else. So, Lanny, you, take, it on all pro you take talent over a guy who you think may be the, a really good schemed player who's it. been well-schemed, right? Yeah. It, it, it'd be like That's last smart. year with Xavier and Howard versus Ramsey as well. It's like Howard and Diggs this year are more productive at first forcing turnovers than probably overall more valuable in terms of swinging games with expected points added and all that, but they're playing with good defensive play callers. We're not. I know Ramsey has been playing with good defensive play callers, but he's also good with bad defensive play callers, and he's also probably the best man corner in the NFL where you don't have to do anything special. It's just go play man. That's all it is to it. Uh, Let me actually change my answer. Get me Arthur Smith. Get me get me a defensive coordinator. <laughs> Big fellow Atlanta makes a really good point there. Any follow-up? I mean, Landon, geez, you never make good points. Finally, just kidding. Landon, you always, you know, are 10 steps ahead of everybody else. And I think scheme fit is really, really interesting in how you how you talk about it. Who Who's to say that we don't have some of those incredible players but are using them poorly, like maybe Dupree or something along those lines. So I think it is really interesting. Um, and I think if you – I think you're right. If I were going to pick a corner, at first I'm like, oh, Trayvon Diggs because he has six picks in five games. But Jalen Ramsey, you're right. There, I mean, it doesn't matter scheme for him. He's like the you know the new Darrell Revis. He can be on an island by himself. 
and really take on any uh, wide receiver. I think Gilmore, if he's healthy, healthy is somebody that can do that too. So I think that's really interesting. And Nathan, to your pick on Donald, I think he is another guy that, you know, doesn't matter what kind of scheme you have. Cause like Landon said, he's basically an edge rusher on the inside. So you put him and you put big Jeff right there with yeah, Landry just, and Dupree. Just imagine how good Landry would be if either Garrett or Donald were here on this team. I mean, just oh. imagine. Uh, but yeah, I really well, like your point. And it's all respect to Trayvon Diggs, who is a really, really, really good player. We all three liked him coming out. I thought he was underdrafted a bit. I think he's as good as we as we thought he would be, but he is in an excellent situation. The point we're making about Ramsey is uh, it's kind of like six years ago when we were just terrible. Terrell Casey and Delaney Walker. Delaney Walker was still getting 90 catches on one of the worst teams I've ever seen. And so it's just like Ramsey was good on the terrible Jacks teams. He was good on the great Jacks teams. So you you go with talent in that situation. The Zoomer me really actually put some thought into taking a receiver, even though it's so stacked. And I was just thinking, like, obviously Devontae Adams is probably the best and would have the cleanest transition. But I was also thinking just Tyree Kill. Well, Tannehill doesn't get enough time to even th- throw up a deep bomb right. to, to Hill. So, right. you yeah. know, that I, I that's like why the I luxury. It's just, it's just the Zoomer me because yeah. we all want to have well. three superstar receivers. The trenches don't matter. Just throw it every time. But Well, yeah, just I have right thought time. about this. Uh, and there are so many good receivers, and they there's so many different types of good receivers right now. But I do think the best receiver in football is Devontae Adams. I really do. I thought last year – as good as Henry was, I really thought if I had a vote, I would split it for Offensive Player of the Year. I think Devontae Adams was every bit as good as Derrick Henry last year, and that's everybody knows if, what I felt about Derrick Henry. If Adams hadn't missed, I think it was two and a half games. Like, he missed two games straight up, and then he missed a couple quarters. If he didn't miss those games, I think he would have won it, but playing time does get weighted. Just think about that ice-cold, snowy game that we played in Green Bay last year. Everybody's slipping aside, and Adams was clearly the best player on, you know, the field when he was on there. No disrespect to Henry, but I'm just saying, like, he, he's a dominant force. He is, and, uh, you know, your point is well taken about him potentially being an MVP candidate. And, you know, I know there are arguments out there, and I'm not trying to side with, you know, the uneducated football fans or anything like that. But to me, I don't know if we'll ever see a wide receiver get an MVP anymore because if you have Devontae Adams, let's just say he goes for 2,000 yards, as incredible as that is, it probably means Aaron Rodgers goes for five. So it's so dependent on a quarterback. And who knows, if Devontae Adams didn't have Aaron Rodgers, maybe we never would have even discovered him. I think we would just because of how talented he is. Um, but it's it's is very dependent on having a great quarterback. I mean, look at Tyreek Hill. He might not be anything if he didn't have Mahomes. Lamar Jackson doesn't throw very well. And look, they have a bunch of receivers we've heard of, but nobody is incredible. So it's just always one of those things that I'm like, I don't know. But there's no denying Devontae Adams' greatness. Um, Whereas Henry, I think Henry's in the the offensive uh, player of the year conversation more so because like we always point out every year. Because of what he like, doesn't have, yeah. Right, exactly. It's it's normally rushing leaders, number one is Henry, number two is Henry after contact. Like, I mean, he's doing it on his own, and I think that puts him in a class of his own. Landon, back to Big Fellow's comment about Devontae Adams. I think we're conditioned for the quarterback to get the credit. And, yes, you can't catch a ball that isn't 
properly thrown to you most times. I think Rodgers is a Hall of Fame quarterback, and he would have had a really good year last year. But I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is the NFL's MVP without Devontae Adams last year. When I watched him play us, I mean, it just stood out to me. I mean, and when you go and watch these games, like, yeah, oh, they're a receiver. Oh, they catch the passes. But then when Tampa Bay comes to town and you see Mike Evans in real life and you see Michael Thomas when he was healthy for New Orleans or you see even Devontae Adams in the snow on TV – he is the icing on the cake. I mean, he he really was the biggest part of that MVP season for Rodgers, right? Yeah, I think it would be him and then the offensive line, which had stayed healthy up until, I think, our game. And it's just hard because a great the best receivers have an impact on the field that can't be quantified even when they aren't targeted. Like Tyreek Hill, for example, he bends defenses even if he's not being targeted. And that has impact, but it's not quantifiable. Whereas, like, and then the quarterback benefits because... Tyreek Hill warps the defense. Mahomes has a wide-open throw. Mahomes got those stats. Hill didn't, even though Hill, in many ways, created those stats. And just looking at the uh, like the advanced analytics, like all the most valuable positions are quarterback. It's like the top 20 quarterbacks are more valuable than the next best player, period. That's just how the game is because they touch the ball so much, they affect plays so much, it's impossible to really decouple that and give anyone else credit. And like to the point about a receiver ne- never winning MVP, Jerry Rice got the closest any receiver in the modern era ever did. Like he won three of the four major awards. That was in a striker where he had, where he set the touchdown record and he sh- he shuffled through a bunch of quarterbacks. So one quarterback wasn't getting all the big stats with him. So like if Devontae Adams had two thousand yards, twenty touchdowns, like crazy yards per catch or whatever, and he had to go through two three quarterbacks, he could get he could get MVP votes, but. That's just not realistic. Big fellow, we've talked a lot about receiver. I mean, when when are we going to see our top two guys helping and on the field together? I know we judge this team already, but when are we going to see that? And how big of a difference will that make? Well, we're going to see some of it on Monday. Um, it'll be the first time all season where we've had Julio, AJ, and Josh Reynolds on the field together one time. And I'm very and interested Johnson. to see. Well, I mean, I'm only counting the three. Uh, Marcus Johnson, I hope for a bigger impact from him last week, but, um, I mean, he was pretty solid. I think he's looked better. He than was, Reynolds. you're right. He was, I mean, I'm just, I'm looking at it from off season acquisition. You know, you bring in Reynolds, we're not paying him peanuts. Same thing for Julio. You know, you want to see these guys earn their keep here. And regardless, I mean, add Marcus Johnson in the mix, you get all four even better. Um, I'd love an empty. I'd love a a single back set with with all four of them on the field. Uh, I I don't I don't know if we'd ever do that. It'd be something pretty interesting. But yeah, I mean, this is the first chance we get. Uh, I mean, I sent you guys an article a couple days ago, maybe it was yesterday, about AJ Brown saying that he's still not a hundred percent and he's going to be limited. I started to freak out until Landon. You were like, well, he's probably just not going to block as much on running plays. And then I calmed down quite a bit. But just the way that that kind of resonated with me at first. It got me really cautious because obviously AJ Brown did not look like the AJ Brown. We know last week against the Jags, um, you know, he wasn't, he, he's still dropping a couple balls. He's not being that electric playmaker. So I hope that having Julio on the field gives him that extra shot of adrenaline and 
we can run all over the field and we finally get to that dream scenario we talked about in the offseason where you can't double one guy because then you have A.J. Brown in single coverage or you got Derrick Henry ready to break through. Or if you stack the box, you've got Julio and A.J. out there and you're forcing them, you're forcing their corners to go one on one. So I am very interested to see how that works. And maybe that benefits Marcus Johnson. Maybe it benefits um, Josh Reynolds. Maybe it's Ferkser. I don't know. But Monday, we get a first glimpse of it. What do you think, Lan? I agree with Vrabel playing the team's house so close to the vest because our schedule is front-loaded. These next four weeks is, is going to be one of the toughest stretches of any NFL team in the entire season because we have Bills, short-week Chiefs, then we have the Rams on the road with the after a Colts game on the road. And that's really tough. But the back half of our schedule is really easy. The division is really bad after the Colts melted down on Monday Night Football last week. So <laughs> compared to the past couple of seasons, we don't have to go all out just to make the playoffs or win the division. Like We can comfortably win the division at 10-7 and seven or whatever. And if that means we lose a couple of these primetime games early, we load manage A.J. Brown, Bud Dupree misses three games, we lose to the Jets. Yeah. It, if all that means we're as healthy as we can be, when it's when it's January and we're hosting a playoff game, that's all that matters. It's a Landon. similar philosophy to what the NBA is starting to do, where just getting to the playoffs as healthy as possible is all you need. Because when you get to that point, home court, home field, obviously home field matters a lot in football. But at the end of the day, the the quality of player makes all the difference. You, some variance goes your way, and it doesn't matter if you're the if you're the two seed or the seven seed. You just got to make the playoffs, get hot. That's all that matters. Landon, I love how your voice literally changed when you said the Jets. Yeah, the Jets. Ugh. Yeah. Jo- <laughs> John, you made a good point earlier about A.J. Brown and his weird pitch count comment this week. Is he, is he weird? Neither of you out like he is me. I, something's not right with him, and I don't know if it's just health. I don't like his body language. I don't, I don't know. I mean, he just doesn't have the feel and affectation of – like he was right, he was just acted and talked like he was ready to dominate in his rookie mm-hmm. season and last season. Am I reading into that? Is something going on with him? I think something's weird, and I don't know if maybe it's having Julio on the team. Maybe I, I mean I'd hate to say that Julio is not a good character guy, but um, maybe AJ looks at himself as not the man anymore because Julio's here. Landon, I I don't think that, but I do think there's something on with him. Do you, you have any theories about AJ Brown? Well, I think it's the simplest answer, and it's just A.J. Brown has been a star the first two years. He was a star his entire life. He wants to be on the field. He wants to play as much as possible. And having to be restricted, even though it's for the good of his career, it's for the good of his season, no guy wants that. No guy is going to be like, yeah, as a receiver, he usually plays 90% of the snaps. It's cool if I only play 60. He wants to be out there as much as he can, and that's really all there is to it. I'm sure he thinks he could probably go full – he could get a full load of snaps for the season on, and Vrabel is overruling him. But end of the day, 70% snaps for A.J. Brown versus 90. That won't really swing the next couple games for us with how stacked these teams are. And if it means there's less risk of an injury, because everyone remembers last year, every single first quarter, A.J. Brown goes down holding his knee in the first quarter. You're worried. You think it's it's finally the big one where he did something, and then he limps back out there, and he's good for the rest of the season. <laughs> Well, Landon, it's actually funny you mentioned that because I have another guy I wanted to ask you guys about. And I saw a couple articles about potentially putting him on IR, but Roger Saffold, 
I feel like he gets hurt every single game. He has. And it's just like, is that becoming more of a liability to our offensive line? And kind of to your point about A.J. Brown, like a a 70% A.J. Brown is better than no A.J. Brown, but it's not a 90% A.J. Brown where, uh, you know, a 70 to 90 doesn't really swing the game. A Roger Saffold in or out does have a very, very big impact on the game. I want to hear what Landon thinks about that, but I just want to say before that, I I love the point because Saffold – you know, if you look on paper, how were we a decent offensive line last year? Saffold held everything together. He was outstanding. Ben Jones was above average and played as well as he had in years. Saffold has had trouble staying on the field and, and of course, being dominant. I think it has been a the biggest issue from last year to this year. I, yeah, I've seen the reports with Saffold that they've talked about they could shut him down and throw him on short-term IR. And my only worry is... We've got a lot of guys coming in and out on short-term IR. I don't remember the exact limit on how many players you can bring back from it. If there is even a limit, or if that's only for the long-term one. But Amani Hooker, Jayon Brown, maybe Saffold. Just at some point, like we can't just keep throwing guys on IR. Brett Kern, Sam Thicken. Yeah, and with Saffold, right? I don't think he'll end up going on IR. I would, I'd still expect several scares the next couple of games where he walks out and. We have to throw in Brewer. Well, actually, I think Brewer is out this week as well, so expect Raydunes to come in, or Lamb. But I think Saffold stays in just because the offensive line is just barely hanging on by a thread. Tannehill and Henry are just piecing it together somehow. I think with a shoulder injury like that, compared to a a leg, and particularly a knee, there's not really that risk of that one play, just a catastrophic injury just ruining everything. I mean, obviously, it could happen. You could fall weird, but... It, he'll really he'll just be sore, he'll hurt, but there's not really that big risk of he hurts his shoulder, boom, Roger Saffold out for the year, like A.J. Brown could do his knee. So we've talked about injuries a lot, Landon, besides what we've mentioned. I mean, obviously it's not finalized, but who do you expect to play and not play Monday? Well, Farley is in, although I don't know how much we'll actually play him. He was saying expect big things last week against the Jags in a game we controlled. He didn't come in until the mid-fourth quarter. Fulton's out, Monty Rice is out. Blasting game is questionable. That's not really going to be a huge loss because Torrey Carter on our practice squad has been fine, and getting a replacement fullback is that big of a deal. McNichols what, didn't practice the last two days. He's questionable, and Darrington Evans hasn't come back yet, so that's pretty worrying, especially with how much we've used him in the obvious passing downs. But outside of that, we're good to go. Dupree is in, AJ Brown, Julio Jones, full practice all week. They're in. So offensively, outside of Saffold, and McNichols as our third down running back. We're as good as we're going to be. On defense, we lost our best cornerback, and we're still missing Jan, but otherwise we should be good to go. Landon, what about Brett Kern? What's his status as of late? He won't be back this week. Mm. I've been looking, I've seen some of the advanced charts of like the punting stuff, and Townsend has been near the bottom since we started using him. And he hasn't had any of any catastrophic punts like that the FedEx driver we had last year that lost us the Colts game, but we had one. What the first his first punt didn't it go like fifteen yards? Oh yeah. Well, outside of that, he hasn't been just noticeably terrible, but he's been great out at the bottom of the league since we got him. Big fellow, uh, Kisenberry. No one doubts his heart um, and his hustle, but it, most of our fan base questions our coaching staff's commitment to him. You're undoubtedly, I'm sure, ready to see Kendall Lamb or 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 Raidens, right? 
I'm ready to see anybody not named Cressenberry. I'm uh, like I, I've joked before, but literally on Monday night, I'm bringing my shoulder pads just in case if they need a right tackle. I don't understand to Landon's point every single podcast why we let Dennis Kelly go, paid Kendall Lamb a little bit more, and haven't used him. I mean, the guy has to be better than Questenberry. I don't know if it's Vrabel has some sort of allegiance to Questenberry from their time in Houston. I don't know if it's because they appreciate his battle with cancer and how he came back, which I very much uh, admire and respect of him to to kind of go through all of that and you know play in the NFL. But the man is a liability. Every single game, the majority of our sacks have come from him. The majority of our pressures have come from him. And good defensive coaches like McDermott and Leslie Frazier, they know that. And they're going to exploit him. So I don't even care if we go double tackles there. Put in Kendall Lamb. And if you're going to leave Questenberry in there, put in Kendall Lamb. Put in Dylan Radins as an extra blocker. I don't care. But I cannot sit through another game watching Questenberry get destroyed. All right, guys, let's talk about the rest of the NFL. Like we mentioned earlier, you got a little more time, to more than casually watch these other games with our game on Monday night. Big fella, what stands out to you? It looks like we have some decent games on the slate. We've got the Houston at Indy. Obviously, that's one that our fans are watching. I mean, two one and four teams, uh, bottom of the barrel, the AFC South. I think that um, I don't really know how I want it to go. I guess I kind of want the Texans to win because... Indy is terrible, but Indy can always beat us randomly. I'm going to be interested to see the 3-2 and two Bengals take on the Lions. Lions are 0-5, but um, Landon, you know, I don't know if he likes that Jamar Chase girl, but uh, she usually does things that are pretty amazing. So I'll be interested to see how Jamar Chase takes advantage of a subpar Lions defense. I think when you got a rookie that's played really well, this part of the season is really important to say, oh, do they get to a hot start? But every really, really terrific game he puts together, that legitimizes him uh, from that point on, if that makes sense. Uh, So, yeah, Jamar Chase is Landon's main squeeze for sure, and for good reason. I wasn't as in on him as Landon is. Landon, you you called another one. And uh, just to follow up on the Colts thing, if they had not absolutely melted down against Baltimore, of course, Lamar – Lamar is amazing, but if they had not melted down, they would be a Houston win away from being 500. Yep. And their defense actually played really well for about two and a half quarters. (laughs) Landon, what are you looking forward to most this weekend? The obvious game of the week, even though announcers-wise they got really disrespected, Chargers-Ravens on the noon slate in Baltimore. Two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL going at it, two different styles. It's going to be a shootout. I am outraged that... CBS put Greg Gumbel and Adam at Rakuterla on this game. That's the crew they give us when we're on some boring game. Like this is this is two of the five best teams in the AFC. Why is Ian Eagle or Jim Nance and Romo not in this game? Why is Romo Nance on Cowboys Patriots? I understand the markets. Oh, it's the Patriots, it's the Cowboys. That game is going to suck. The Patriots suck. This is two of the two top Ten teams, two of the best offense, two of the most exciting teams in football. You're putting freaking Greg Gumbel on this game. Well, you know why, like you said, but it is disappointing, right, John? Where they just don't follow the football. Yeah, it, it sure is. It's. An, I, mean, I think it's an it's an insult to football fans. It really is, and I mean, you know, I was watching some random video that's making its way on social media, and like they capture some of these announcers that are are not like the good ones, and you know, they're just making like 
jokes and stuff. Not even, like you're saying, not even paying attention to the game. And it's like, all right, come on. Like, give me, you know, for as big of a commodity as the NFL is and the revenue that they bring in, you got to get the best announcers here. You got to, you got to figure that out. Yeah. Kevin Harlan is calling the freaking Dolphins Jags game in London. Hmm. I, I get like it's CBS, it's London, they have to sell at some point, but why are your three, why is Kevin Harlan, Ian Eagle, Romo, why are they on all games that are far, far worse in terms of quality in this game? Yeah, it kind of brings a larger point that I, I wish the NFL over the years had to try harder. Just the product was so good, and we love football so much, that, well, like if you look at the NHL, they could never afford to do stuff like this. They had to have their best product. Yeah, they have not tried, and they have just been real lazy about developing these guys. They have not given women and people of color adequate opportunities. And so now we have a bunch of snores. And then now Mm -hmm. they just sort of, of all the things that they try hard on, I think they just sort of mail this in. But I just don't, it doesn't sound like Landon's generation is going to put up with that. I think it will keep them from being, you know, casually watching games. All right, it's important to note out that I'm really, really an outlier on this stuff. But I'm, I'm sure there's people who are like, yeah, I like some of these announcements more than the others. But for me, it's like, I'm looking up the announcing schedule. I'm comparing games. I'm trying to figure out what these people are thinking. No, I don't think you're an outlier for the demographic they're really looking for in the future. Because I remember I had roommates 10 years ago and they were like 10 years younger than me. And they talked about who was calling these games all the time. They were obsessed with Gus Johnson, Iron Eagle. It is a thing. I think just for older people, it's like, oh, well, they're bad. They're boring, whatever. But I think as the game has evolved or the perception of the game and the consumption of the game through fantasy football and analytics, big fella, I just think mm-hmm. they haven't taken the time to catch up. And I, I, Landon thinks he's maybe the minority here, but I, no, I think people people have learned to expect more from things that take their time and their money. The NFL has, it's like a beautiful man or woman. They haven't ha- had to try. So they're, they're really kind of boring. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a really good point because like I, I even – God, I don't know how long ago it was, but when John Madden was calling football games, yeah. I mean, people would love to listen to John I Madden. And the, he oh, was he so was good. amazing. I remember yeah. with the turducken. Oh, my God. He was just hilarious. <laughs> the things that would come out of his mouth, the casual football fan would watch because of John Madden and the NFL okay. capitalized on that. And they don't have they don't feel like they have to do that. No, because like, Romo oh, was an accident. Right. Because, <laughs> but Romo is good in the same way Madden is. Madden. Except Madden made more mistakes, but Madden loved the game. Yeah. And he got truly excited about the game. And I think outside of Tony Romo, like the NFL, like what, their best comp now is, you know, Collinsworth and, and Al Michaels. And they're they're not bad, but... No, you know, not bad at all. So, like, they're actually probably above average for... I think yeah. the depth. I think Landon is, is disappointed in the depth of right. announcing. Exactly. And that's my point. Like, that's their best comp. And I like listening to Chris Collinsworth ever. I mean, everybody gives me crap about it because they're like Chris Collinsworth, but I think he's good. And you know, he's a guy that loves the game and knows all that stuff. And I think what's interesting is the NFL is thinking about it. You can tell with the whole Eli Payton broadcast where they're bringing on Brett Favre, they're bringing on LeBron James. So I think they've identified a gap in talent, especially with the emergence of Tony Romo. And they're trying to figure it out. But I don't think they're doing a good enough job. 
and maybe it maybe this was their trial year and then next year we start to see juicier announcers but they have to do better no i totally agree and i hope it's an awakening and the way to get better is to give more people from different backgrounds opportunities i i'm excited to see gus johnson and uh, akeem talib i want to see how good they'd be five years from now collinsworth is really good but the cliches I don't want to hear the same thing over and well, over Well, here's again. a guy. That's what people are tired of. But at least, like, listen, at least he brings the energy and the knowledge. But yeah. I want to hear, I, like, I know Derry really liked Tlaib so much. And I said, I'd like to see him, like, a little more polished. But I don't mean like everybody else. I just mean, like, to kind of understand, like, that part of the game more. But I, I want to hear more people from, from different backgrounds. And I think, hopefully, Romo opened him up to, yeah, we just want to hear a guy talk about the game. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't care. I'm just so tired of the same tired language. Guys, for me, Ravens Chargers. Baltimore's two and a half point favorite at home. You keep expecting Landon, the Chargers, to do a Chargers thing, right? And kind of blow close games and you look and they're five hundred or they're a game or two below five hundred, but they're in every game. But I think the difference is I I think they're pretty well coached, right? Yeah. And I think well, you go back to the coaching, like Brandon Staley is the most aggressive head coach in the NFL, bar none. And that trickles down to every single aspect of the game, and players are more confident. Like last week, I think they went for it twice on fourth and long, even though they didn't need to. And they also went for it on fourth and short in their, uh, with like within their own 30. And they did that against the Chiefs, where they know they have Justin Herbert and two great receivers and a great receiving back. And they just go for it. They play balls to the wall. They just... They aren't afraid of taking risks, and Herbert has been so good, and the play calling has been so good. They're hitting more than they're missing, and just that excitement, that just feeling of invincibility, like, yeah, it's fourth and ten. We're going to get this first down. We're going to win the game. That just infects every other part of the football team, and you play better. Like, they're four and one, and the one game they lost, Zerline hit like a 60-yard field goal, and they've just been on fire, and they're just so confident. And then probably the second most aggressive team is the Ravens, because... Yeah. I, they really pioneered the whole going for two instead of one. They'll do all this crazy stuff with Lamar because you can do that different kind of stuff. It's just going to be there's going to be so many fourth downs, so many two point conversions, so much offense, and their defenses are still talented. It's just uh, sometimes great players make great plays. John, am I wrong that like the Ravens appear to me in Landon referred to like if my grandfather was still alive? I think of yours like. He he would love to watch this Ravens thing because it's like they all bring lunch bells. It's like that cliche. It's like, but like Lamar does not care who you are, and he comes right at you. And yes, he is a wide receiver playing quarterback, but in a good way. In the open field, you can't catch him, and he can throw a, a, an improving deep ball. And they're just they play together, and they're extremely tough. It's like it's a working man's team. I know we've heard that before, but I feel like this iteration of the Ra- of the Ravens is maybe is as Raven as ever. And to see them play an emerging team that plays kind of a different type of, of game, I just feel like, I mean, tell me what you think. Like if there's a Mount Rushmore of kind of must-see players and kind of like, kind of throwback like Derrick Henry, it's Lamar Jackson. Like, yeah, I got to see what this guy does with it, with the ball mm. in his hands. Like, like who are their contemporaries in the game right now? Yeah, no, I think you're right about the both those two teams. I mean, Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert, they're two of the best young quarterbacks in the game. And even if you look across the slate, the NFL landscape, you look at all these young quarter, quarterbacks, I don't remember a time 
where we've had this many young star quarterbacks. I mean, look at the Eagles with Jalen Hurts, depending on what you want to do with him. You've got Tua in Miami, Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. You've got Mahomes in Kansas City. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, All these young quarterbacks are doing their thing. But I think the cream of the crop is Herbert and Lamar Jackson right there. And having those two play is going to be a really fun game to watch. And I think it's something funny you you mentioned about how Lamar Jackson is kind of, in my mind, he's transformed the Ravens' identity. I mean, we always know the Ravens is having a super tough defense and they're going to punch you in the mouth. But no, anymore, it's their offense. Lamar is going to punch you in the mouth. Like you said, he's going to be, he, he is progressing as a passer. And if he finally gets the receivers around him, I know I was super high on Rashad Bateman. If yeah. he gets healthy and if he's the guy that he can be, and then you get like Sammy Watkins, you get Hollywood Brown, they've got a formidable group. And then Mark, Mark Mandrews, you know, we all know what he can do. And if they figure out a running back that can actually stay healthy or do something, watch out. If they put it all together, the way they are now, the way I saw them come back against, admittedly, not a great Colts team. They, the the toughness level, Landon, the just mental toughness level. It's a ten out of ten right now. I mean, of course, we'll we'll see in a few months. But Landon, uh, complete that Mount Rushmore of super fun players to watch currently. I think Derrick Henry. Everyone in the country on Monday night will be watching because I mean people. People love to watch him. What's he going to do? And he's so fun to watch. Lamar Jackson is so fun to watch. John made this great point about, yeah, we are in this amazing time of good young quarterbacks. I think it's because we're letting guys with raw tools play the game at that position where we didn't before. Josh Allen, 25 years ago, would not be a quarterback. And Lamar Jackson would not let him be a quarterback. And certainly Kyler Murray. And I can go down the list. Those are three of maybe the most exciting guys at that position in this league. Landon, complete that Mount Rushmore for me. Well, just to go back to your point about just how unique the quarterbacks are, we're seeing a shift in in philosophical offensive approach where when we look at a guy and he's got something different than what we expect, instead of seeing that as a bad thing, it's starting to be seen as a good thing because it's something that defenses can't expect and they have to adjust to. Like Lamar, no one runs like Lamar. Mahomes, no one, there's been some quarterbacks that throw like he does, but no one has shown the propensity just to do the absolutely craziest, ballsiest throws with a great arm like he has outside of like Brett Favre. Josh Allen just built in a lab, a, the, one of the best rushing quarterbacks with one of the biggest arms, and you just have to mold them. So their weaknesses stop being seen as a bad thing and more of something you work around. Like Lamar, the Ravens don't force him into the mold of, you're going to be a pocket passer. You're under center. You're doing seven-step drops. They're gonna put, we're going to put you in space. We're going to give you easy comp sets. We're going to give you plenty of run lanes. And we're going to let you be you. We're not going to try and make you like the 90s pocket passer. You're Lamar Jackson. Do your own thing. And then for the Mount Rushmore, Henry, because outside of that Seahawks touchdown run, he hasn't had the big plays we expect of him yet. And we all know that sooner or later, he's going to have that game where he hits three or four big ones. And you start, and opposing defenses just start feeling that dread that when he gets to the edge and there's just one DB there, you're terrified he's going to flatten him and he's going to go all the way. Lamar, another one. Then Mahomes, of course, just because with just how talented the Chiefs are and how willing he is to do the craziest stuff. So for me, it's like for several years there, and these guys really 
took the game to another level, and I love it. But you had like Manning and Brady, and to a point, Rogers and Breeze, and they take two point three seconds, big fella, and they mm-hmm. make their pass or they throw it out of bounds or the back of the end zone. Yeah, they're just too but good, like now, they're too efficient at the game. Like in week one, you drop back Kyler Murray. So Kyler Murray's the third guy on my list because on my Mount Rushmore because. He looks, and if he doesn't have it, he takes off. And the moment you see him take off, it's like it's like that when you go to the bottom of a roller coaster. It's like, hang on. Now, <laughs> if he's playing your team, you hate it. And it must be amazing to be a Cardinals fan. But that is my, people people find those guys on TV when you see that. And that is the extra element. It's like when that play breaks down and Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray or Josh Allen take off, it's like, all right, let's see. Yeah. So, for and, me, it's Kyler I mean- Murray is the third one. Yeah, and I mean, those are kind of guys that can literally change a, ga- a game at any second. And I think that's what we're talking about here. And, you know, a lot of these guys do that. Like, you know, just like Henry. Like, you know, he's one stiff arm away from breaking an eight, a 99-yarder. Just like Mahomes is a shovel pass away from, you know, an 85-yard touchdown pass. And, and I think that's – and Lamar, too. And it's just – those are the kind of guys that kind of do it and – for me, it's the, just a new yeah. injection of talent and excitement. For me, the fourth guy is Aaron Donald because it's like, I know last year. I was year thinking when, you'd say him. When Alex Smith made his comeback, but of course during when they were playing the Rams, he came in as as in relief of somebody that was injured or other times when he's playing. It's like it's like when you watch on the Nature Channel, like the lion, and you don't <laughs> you don't want to watch them eat like a baby zebra or something, so you channel it. I mean, literally, he strikes that kind of fear into linemen and quarterbacks. Like, he will annihilate you. Like, I remember you told me last year when, when he just so happened that Alex Smith made his comeback against the Rams. You're like, no, they sh- the league should not have let him do, do that because, I mean, <laughs> this guy's six foot two, 295, but his feet and his motor, it's like, I mean, he just gobbles people up. I and mean, he is so, it is weird that a defensive tackle, can be must-watch TV and can make the game that fun. But he's he's the fourth guy, right? I thought you were going to say him, and I think he totally makes sense. The other guy I was thinking of is potentially Jalen Ramsey, but I think Donald fits the build. I mean, literally, the guy is chiseled anyway, so why not put him on the Mount on, right. on Mount Rushmore? I think we're going to look back in a couple of years and be like, yeah, he is the most dominating presence the game has ever seen. And how many times ever does any kind of a fan get to say that? I mean, ever. I mean, they're uh, Lawrence Taylor. I mean, yeah, I think Lawrence be... Taylor is the most dominating yeah. presence we've ever seen. But I think to even carry that company, I think that's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, with with, uh, with him, I think that's that's the tier he's putting himself in. Sure. And we all thought Khalil Mack was going to do it forever, but you know, he his his fire has definitely gone out a bit. Fellas, this has been a blast. I know our listeners love this kind of stuff, just like we do. And man, it's just so great. Uh, to be on a Saturday, watch some college football, and just being able to, like, normally I'm tense, like, oh, in the morning, because uh, I worry about this team. I don't know why, but I do. But there's no noon kickoff. I get 36 hours to uh, be just a, a casual football fan before. So it's it's just been a really fun hour. Uh, all that being said, guys, Monday night, I mean, in your heart of hearts, how does this game turn out for us? We'll start with you, Landon. I'm not feeling too good with Fulham being out. I've got it. 35 21 bills and it won't be and we'll keep it competitive we'll keep it close but i i was like you i thought the bills were overrated because they beat up on jacoby Brissett, the washington football team 
and the Houston Texans. Their defense, yeah, it was really nice, but you didn't play anybody. Then they go into Arrowhead against the Chiefs, who were the best offense before that, and just crush them. So for me, 35-21, keep it close, but they pull away at the end. The secondary issues come back to bite us. I just hope that Henry still has a big game, and everyone can just appreciate how good he is because there's been a bit of an error this year with how much we're riding him that, oh, he's not that good. It's just he gets a bajillion touches if anyone else got those touches. I just want people to see, like, our offensive line is not good. He keeps getting hit at the line of scrimmage. No one else outside of the greatest of the greatest running backs ever could do what he's doing right now. Like, he's going up against a great defensive front. He's still going to have 100 yards, and people are going to go away, come away from that going, man, Derrick Henry had 100 yards. He was getting hit at the behind the line of scrimmage every single time. How does he do it? Mm. Big fella, what about you? Well, I got a couple things to say. I agree with Landon that Fulton being out really scares me. But on this podcast and in my heart, I will never pick against two-tone blue. And we always got a chance on Monday night. So I am going to go very aggressive, and I'm going to say we win this one 38-35. I've already called Nissan Stadium. It's going to be a night game, so I've asked that they stock up their concession stands with hot chocolate just for our longest standing joke ever. Henry's going to break one, and Nathan, I'm sorry to say you're going to miss it again. Man, I'm okay with that, as long as it actually (laughs) happens. Big fella, last year coming into this game, Buffalo got off to a good start, start too. I don't think the national media gave us really any chance to win this game, and of course we did. There are some real questions about the right side of our offensive. And there are some questions without Fulton. They they have a really good receiving core. There are some really good questions about if a linebacking core that isn't great in coverage can defend Austin Knox. But at the end of the day, I, I, I see Monday night at home, I think we have as good of a chance as not for the leaders on this team to do what it takes to win. So I'd say 31-30 Titans. Well, I've got a funny funny point to make here too. Last year, it was kind of a sta- if I remember correctly, it was kind of a stalemate until Derrick Henry stiff armed Josh Norman into the stratosphere, and that kind of jazzed up everybody. And then that kind of led us to destroy them. So I think we kind of have to hope for that same kind of thing to happen. That magic spark that happens on Monday night. Last year was Tuesday night, but same thing. I, I think we have that within us. We have to. Uh, just keep our weaknesses, maybe some of our uh, defensive play calling, maybe some of our limitations and some injuries. I think we, if that those don't just sink us, I think we, if we're in this game, I like our chances. I absolutely do. Mm. That's it for Tennessee Titans talk. Uh, looking forward to uh, seeing those of you that come to the game on Monday nights and just, uh, man, really excited. If you have a Titans fan in your life, uh, you know, would like this, just loves the deep dive and, and passion for, uh, for our fan base and for our team. Share share it out. Send somebody. Teach somebody how to how to use podcast um, because <laughs> we've uh, we've got a lot of listeners. We appreciate every one of you. Looking forward to hopefully a good dominant crowd on Monday night. Then, not Bills fans. <laughs> no, get out of here. Don't come. Wrong wrong color blue. Every single Bills fan, knock yourself out jumping off the bridge onto the <laughs> table. <laughs> they will. All right. Until next week, guys. Tighten up. Tighten up. Tighten up.